Hey folks, welcome to the 100th episode, sort of, of the DC Treecast. My name is Brian, with me as always are my pals, my partners on this century of podcasts, Zach and Vince, and we are going to talk about DC Comics, but first, before we get to this week's books, we're going to just sort of generally chit-chat for a little bit. Zach mentioned he had uh, sort of a, a take he wanted to, to give, so we're going to give Zach the floor, so... Uh, First of all, happy 100th episode, boys. Happy 100th episode. Happy New Year to you guys. Since I wasn't good before. I wasn't I mean, good before the New Year yeah. and we during sh- the New Year. We should also say that Zach is back from the dead. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. Not dead anymore. Mm-hmm. Alive again. Yes. Uh, um, so, yeah, so Zach, what, what did you want to... Uh... Give us this this hot take you have. It's not really a hot take. I guess it maybe kind of is a little bit. I don't know. Can so, you make it hot? Can you like make it up a little? I, I'll try. I'll try. Um, so you know, I um, yeah, recovering from both the holidays and my um, whatever plague that had gripped me for a few a few days, and catching up on several weeks of comics that I had kind of um, eschewed for various reasons and. I found that there were very, very few books that I was excited to read. Um, and I just didn't feel very invested. I felt less invested in these, like, maybe, like, last three weeks or so of books than I remember being in a really long time. And I was trying to figure out, like, why that is. And we've talked about, you know, kind of, I guess, like, what it is that brings us to comics particularly like cape comics and things and you know we always circle around to that like sweet sweet like mid to late 2000s era of dc um and i feel like right now at this point it's not rebirth anymore but in this rebirth era the books are kind of creeping back into that kind of um space that they were during the new 52 where everything was really disconnected and not, um, not building towards any kind of like overarching story of interest right now. Everything kind of just feels like, like I said, very disconnected and each book is sort of telling its own story. But a lot of times it feels like they're stories that don't, have like they aren't stories that um have a drive to them they they're stories that are being told just for the sake of telling stories which in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing but there's no hook in the i think the majority of the books right now does that make sense yeah can i um can i suggest uh in addition to the, I agree with everything you're saying. Can I suggest something to tack on to that? Yeah. That I feel about the overall direction too? Go for it. I feel like <clears throat> everything you just said was true. And I feel like what happened was Rebirth came out of the gate. And it's exciting to get all, a lot of these characters back again. 
And to kind of go back to stories and eras and things that we liked in the past or when the books really worked, you know, um, I feel like there was a lot of excitement that the first year of Rebirth did with that. And now I feel like, you know, something like uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, that's the book that I keep coming back to. And I keep thinking, like, this is not terrible, but there's absolutely no, like, I'm never excited to read it. I read it and I go, okay, that was a Green Lantern story. And I think it's because a lot of these books, they're not driving towards anything. And they're just showing us familiar situations that they're they're almost like, hey, you guys like this stuff, right? Let's do it again, you know? And, like, we've had how how many years with those core lanterns? Wouldn't it be great if, like, they were all still around, but they were on, like, clear – like, all four of them, all four of the old lanterns were on, like, clear trajectories towards totally new stories, but I feel like Guy is stuck in this, I'm um, kind of the bastard one that, but he doesn't have much going on with his story, you know. John Stewart's like the mentor one, but he doesn't have much that he's driving toward, you know. It's what you're saying, they're not driving towards anything, but they're also like, they're also stuck in these repetitive situations we've seen before. And I feel like most of the books that don't have any direct connection to uh, like the timey-wimey stuff that's going on in DC are like that right now, where, yeah, these characters are all around and they're kind of the way we remember them, but they're not dry, they're not they're not using they're not using pre-flashpoint, and maybe this will happen after Rebirth is over or after Doomsday Clock's over, but they're not using pre the pre-flashpoint as a jumping-off point or moving-forward point anymore. They're just kind of stuck in giving us those same stories over and over again, kind of. Yeah. I want to hear what Brian has to say, too, but I wanted to interject really quick because since I missed this book last week, but Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps is like such a great um, representative of that because of how... Oh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. I may be getting ahead of myself. Uh... Hold on, we may have to edit this part out because I think I may be thinking ahead to what happens in next week's issue. <laughs> did this arc end last week or did is it end next week? I couldn't tell you, which tells you everything about this book. <laughs> Hold on, let me... I'm it sorry. Ends, I sh- it, it ends next week. It Twilight, okay, well, Twilight then, of the Guardians? Okay, then yeah, never mind. We can't talk about it. <laughs> that's right. Okay, sorry. Um, so just that's put, a make a note and then Brian, you... Uh, you just take off. After, oh, I'm not editing. Say something this. after. We're, we're keeping this all in there. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> I have Sorry, the guys. Power. Um, okay, so I, I don't necessarily disagree with you guys. I, I think that a lot of what, what I think what was great about Rebirth at first was I think that everything was like. With a few exceptions, you know, excepting Cyborg and, uh, you know, Batman and a few other books, everything was, like, at a B or maybe a B-minus level or higher when Rebirth started, right? I mean, there mm-hmm. were very few books that we were saying, like, week in and week out, this is a garbage comic. Sure, I would throw that in there now and then, 
but it really wasn't there wasn't this like stunning lack of of good comics the way that periods of the new 52 felt like you know i'm just reading shit after shit every week yeah um i think what's happened in rebirth is that the good has gotten great and the okay has gotten bad and so I still think there's a lot more good than maybe Zach is giving credit for. Like, for instance, just just thinking out loud here, I think between Aquaman and Deathstroke and now Justice League and the uh, the, the, the you know, Super Sons and Teen Titans and even Titans and, you know, at times Superman and Detective and at times action, like, that's that's a fair, and, you know, I think The Flash is still reasonably solid, you know, given that, that that's, a, that's a pretty solid lineup of comics, not every week are, you're going to get winners from all of those, but I think that overall, those books are as strong as they've been in quite some time, but I think that the Green Lantern books are considerably worse than we've had in a while, you know, Wonder Woman under James Robinson has not been anything special. Uh, you know, Cyborg is trash. Um, I think we can agree Batwoman has been underwhelming. Obviously, we have our issues with Tom King's Batman. And I think that, me, at least for me, what I'm finding is that it seems like I am not interested in a lot of the books that the sort of... Uh, at the tastemakers are into it. I, I feel like everybody mm-hmm. on the internet is talking about Doomsday Clock and Tom King's Batman, and I just don't give a shit. And Batman White Knight, and I, oh. I, I just don't give a shit about those books. That's not what I want out of DC Comics. And so I think that part of my like groaning, you know, while reading these comics is just knowing that. There are people out there who are gonna who are reading Batman White Knight and who are doing the Italian chef kissing fingers emoji <laughs> like the entire time they're reading it. And to me it's just this garbage, this overwrought, trying to be clever, using buzzwords comic that I just don't give a shit about. And so mm-hmm. part of me feels like I don't think that the quality of the overall line is is really all that much worse. I just think it's become more much much like our country's political climate, it's become more polarized. The good has been much better and the bad has been much worse. I I, I agree with you generally. I think when we and this will come out a bit more when we get into the books, I think this week. I I maybe my like temperature of the line is that overall it's um the average has gotten lower and the good books are way more inconsistent than they used to be um but yeah we'll we'll get into it i think once we get into the specific books and i have like you know a few things that i want to talk about so yeah I also think the Overton window of, like, our enjoyment of these books has shifted because, like, after a year of reading, uh, after a year of reading all these Rebirth titles, now the ones that we thought, you know, in the first year were, were like, 
good to okay or just okay because we have to read 15 comics a week like okay becomes bad you know yes like if if you're reading a book that's just okay and you read 12 issues of it you're you're probably going to be sick of it by the end you know whereas i could read death i mean deathstroke is just moving along and it's good every time and you're you're never going to regret it but these these books that don't do much for you you can think well okay that's not like it's it's like again it's like hal jordan like all right this book is just okay and then eventually you get sick of just thinking it's just okay when it could be something more mm-hmm. and so the overall quality of the line feels like it's suffering even if maybe the individual quality of the book hasn't hasn't fallen off that much Mm-hmm. I I think that's the impression I'm getting. Yeah, and and you know, we talked about this before we came on the air too. Like just due to the nature of, especially like you know the holiday season with all of us being busy for with, with you know <laughs> with actual lives and family and friends and whatnot. I like had to, you know, I, I read most of the books in the last three weeks in two or three sittings. Mm-hmm. In total, like I read pretty much all of this week's books in one sitting. And that is not an ideal way to read comics. And, you know, I, I have to give a shout-out to our friend Greg Matasevich here. Greg sent an incredibly thoughtful email about Doomsday Clock last week, and my response was basically, it sucks, I don't care. Because <laughs> because there's just so much for us to read that if it's a book I don't like, I can't, I can't think about it as much as I would if I didn't have ten other books I didn't like to think about every week. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a dick move, Brian. <laughs> what was that? Greg, Greg did have some really great takes on on Doomsday Clock that I hadn't even begun to think about and did help my enjoyment of the book a lot, I think. See, I, Cause I, I, I'm not enjoying that book at all. I'm really... Uh, I know really I wasn't here when you guys talked about it, but when I saw that that second issue was still primarily like Watchmen stuff, I was... I almost just like put it down. I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. This isn't... But then I read it and I kind of liked it, and we we can wait until issue three comes around and we'll see where I am then, and then we can talk about it. All right, let's get this show on the road. Yeah, yeah, hundredth episode. Woo! Right. We're still doing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Batman number 38, the origin of Bruce Wayne. Uh, Tom King wrote this. and uh, By the way, I love how everybody is reporting this on their websites as the origin of an actual Bruce new, new Bruce yes. Wayne when it's... Did yeah. anyone even read this? Yeah. Talk uh, about a talk about an issue made for clickbait headlines. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say yeah. uh, Travis Moore illustrated it. Go ahead, dig in. That was that was. I just had to interject. It's bad. I guess Tom King's Batman's not good again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is it. So, um, for for those that that aren't maybe regular multiversity readers. We we did our year in review stuff recently, and three Tom King books showed up on our top five single issues of the year. And a, a commenter called us out and said, like, it's so dumb that you guys put three Tom King books in the top five, and yet Tom King was not your best writer, nor were any Tom King ongoings your, in your top uh, 
in your top list. And so I forget who it was. Somebody on the site, maybe it was Justin Beeson. I think it was maybe Justin said like, well, I think Tom King is good at writing small, like one or two part stories. But once he starts trying to do these sort of long open-ended stories, he loses my interest. And I think that might be a really good way to think about Tom King's Batman, because I think that like, I mean, I know Vince and I really like this, the super friends arc that just happened. Zach, you only talked about the first half with us. But, like, that's a very small, like, self-contained story that King can do well with. I think it's when he's trying to build up characters through, like, you know, yes, this is this is essentially a one-shot issue, but this is really, like, him doing long-term character work on the book, and to me, it's just, it, it rings so hollow and bullshitty. I don't know. I, I could not get into this issue at all. I'm, there were a couple of, there were parts of this issue I liked I liked some of the sleuthing and deducing um, so you know some of it I, I guess is a little heavy handed but I, I think it like comic book detective work is typically that way you know C is for Catwoman C's for Catwoman, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, you know, I thought the I thought the letter was good, and the way he analyzed all the like the Two Face references, and and the way he came to his re- revelations, I I thought that was good. Um, and that that's all good. A big part of my disdain with this issue is just like personal preference and really I, I you know isn't a knock against um king's ability or anything it's just i hate the concept of the <laughs> villain of this book like i just never want that are you telling um, me you don't like it when little boys carve thomas and martha into their faces no i hate it like that's something twisted like the dang joker would do yeah, it or something. Like, yes exactly um so yeah, I just I don't want or need that. So this issue is not for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean the the like deranged kid idea is just I don't know. It's so weird. It's also weird that this comic is coming out as Batman Creature of the Night is coming out. Yes. Where you've got another kid who wishes he were Bruce Wayne, you know, <laughs> like obviously taking a completely different path, but I, this just this just reads as like way too twisted for its own good. Like I'm I'm really over, um, you know, people talk about grim and gritty comics being a bad thing, and I think overall that's true. But when it really bothers me is when it's this like kid saying crazy shit carving stuff into his face absurd you know like that takes it too far for me not in like a prudish content way just in like a over the top like oh isn't this so fucked up type thing and uh yeah it is but um i don't really i don't really need it i don't really want to see this you know, it's yeah. it's like Zach said, it's a personal preference thing. Like, I, I'm not one of those guys who's like, 
it blew my mind when that guy carved into his own face, you know, like, oh, the Joker's so cool because he's just, he doesn't give a shit, you know, like, he doesn't care if he lives or dies. He's crazy, twisted, messed up, you know, like, it's so, like, that's just over the top for me. Mm-hmm. I, I will say there was one scene I really liked in this issue. Um, it was it when he said Dennis O'Neill Avenue over and over again? <laughs> no, <laughs> it was not that. It was when uh, Bruce wakes up in bed with with Selena, and he's just talking through the case, and she just totally ignores him. She doesn't <laughs> say a word. She just lets him talk, and she goes back to sleep. And that's how I felt reading this issue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Batman and the Signal. Uh, it's a three-issue miniseries, which is uh, a bit unusual for uh, for DC. We haven't seen too many of those. But this is uh, written by Scott Snyder, and uh, one of the new uh, Writer's Workshop graduates, Tony Patrick, and it's illustrated by Cully Hamner. And uh, this is the first issue of uh, of sort of Duke's reign as the signal. Zach, let's start with you. What did you think of this issue? Um, I had a hard time caring. <laughs> I I just. I don't know. I like like this is a book that feels like it should be important and engaging. You know, it's tying into metal, which is something we like. Um, I mean, tangentially, it, and it honestly like feels like a book that should be coming out after metal is over. But that's just how nature of times these days. You know, um, this is not the continuation of the awesome, um, you know, Duke backup that we had running in all-star Batman, you know, it's not that for me. There are things about this that I like, but then there were other, there was some weird dialogue um, quirks and maybe that's just, you know, Tony Patrick being a new writer and, and coming in. But um, I'm trying to think of what it was. There was like one thing that, one phrase that was said like three different times. Oh, it was how um, that detention facility is an Arkham for juvies. Mm-hmm. Like they, you know, that, that phrase was used at least like three or four times throughout the book. Um, a lot of things like that. And I don't know, I'm probably sounding nitpicky, but there were just a lot of those small things throughout the book that kind of um, negatively affected my, my engagement with it. Vince, what about huh. you? I'm really surprised because this is my favorite non-Hanna-Barbera book of the week. This is... Um, more than Deathstroke, even. Yes, more than more than this week's Deathstroke, even. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, I really liked this. I think it does feel important. I think, first of all, that one guy kept saying, Dial... <laughs> Which yep. makes me think. Dial which makes H. me think that if the what if I'm sure this is not right. I'm sure I'm gonna sound like a fool for guessing this, but uh, what if the 
the H dial has something to do with metal. Like, what if what if it's made of a metal that, you know what I mean? Like, if they fold that into the DCU somehow using metal, I'm gonna freak the fuck out. Yeah, that that is the most Vince thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's like that. Yeah, that's like a shot to the brain of an Aaron shit Rodgers that I like. Of Superman. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, oh, you know, it's funny how much this issue reminds me of Damage. Oh, my God. Like the old Damage? Like the Damage we are currently reading. Oh, geez. That's harsh, man. <laughs> no, no, not like, not, I don't mean it that way, necessarily. I don't yeah. mean it, I mean it in like what it's doing, like. Sure. You know, the. It, it, it's taking the character and it's trying to give the character sort of more import than maybe the text deserves. Yeah, that, and also, you know, it just, it even has a lot of the same trappings, you know, a lot of the, the, the characters, the, the youthful meta human kids with all their fancy powers. And, (laughs) um, Oh man, it feels and I don't mean like, oh man, it's just like damage. It's so bad. That's not how I mean it. It, it. I just feel like it's doing a lot of the same things, which is which is interesting to me because, you know, we're reading them at the same time, but they're separated by some, you know, twenty years or so. Yeah. I just think I. I think Duke's. I think Duke's great in this. I think this is. I think this is awesome. I think this makes me want. This makes me wish we had a Duke book earlier. First of all, it makes me wish that this Duke book is more than three issues, which it's not going to be. I I want all those things too. I'm with you there. Like it it feels maybe that's another thing too. It feels weird to me that this is we've had Duke for so long and in in costume even, and you know now he's getting a book and a name, even though it's only three issues. Which is yeah. weird, you know. Yeah, that is weird. But I think it's imp- I think it's like interesting how it brings in the the idea of the meta, like the that the, is probably really important. Which is like a what Doomsday Clock is happening, right? Doomsday yeah. Clock and yeah. meta, like this book. This this is what this is the opposite of kind of what you were talking uh-huh. about. Like I agree with everything you were saying about DC Rebirth right now as a whole, or, or the I guess it's not Rebirth anymore. I keep saying it, but but they their cover dress has made it clear it's not Rebirth anymore. But in the past, yeah, exactly. Uh, kill it if you have to. Yeah. Um, uh, but Spoken I've only like seen that movie. Seen that movie once. Yeah. Once. Fuck you both. Uh, <laughs> he still didn't even see Yoda. He missed it. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's an inside joke there. Um, uh, no, but uh, like this book feels super important. Like it's telling its own story, but there's like meta stuff in there, like the metagene stuff, which is teased in Doomsday Clock. I feel like when metal is all over, we're gonna look back at this book and we're gonna think there was a lot in here that that uh, you know was benefiting from other things going on at DC right now, and. I like the way that feels. It makes the book feel more important than it otherwise would. I mean, imagine if this were just another, like, uh, you know, secret miniseries in disguise that gets canceled after six or 12 issues. And, 
you know, it was just it was just basic street level type stuff, you know, that you that you get from the av- like a back back in the Birds of Prey type. Thing, I guess that's you know? true, or or even like, um, you know, not to knock this, but like um, the the Black Lightning mini or the Demon mini or or like uh, what was it, Vigilante Southland mm-hmm. that launched with. Um, rebirth and didn't finish right yeah yeah exactly like this is doing something a little more important and it's it's suggesting things about the dcu as a whole that we don't even fully understand yet and i think that that's really interesting and it's and it's throwing new characters at us like this girl with the with the arm the missing arm yeah Have, have we seen her before if we have it hasn't been i don't think so she didn't seem familiar to me but that doesn't mean She's necessarily all that new. Um, see, see, this is what I want all the Rebirth books to be doing, which is adding characters to you know Batman or Superman's extended past, keeping the old ones around. But like, I feel like this is this is immediately enriching uh, Bruce and Duke's world, kind of. All right, fine. You you won me over a little no, bit. I mean, okay. you don't have to. You don't have to. I no, mean, I'm, I'm saying that. I'm saying that like curmudgeonly. But you are, you are bringing things to to my attention that I I maybe guess I didn't really think about as much. Yeah. I, now, now, if the straight story doesn't like nab you, I mean that. Yeah, I mean that's a big part of it. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. If if I if I ever get a fucking chance to talk on the show, hey. um you're the host. You do whatever you want. You know what? You throw the hammer down on us. Hit the mute button. No, Tell I'm us not. to fuck off. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> wait. And another thing. Yeah. No. No. Go ahead. <laughs> what I was going to say is that I, I I feel like this is somewhat walking the the line between everything Zach was saying in the beginning of the show, where in some ways this is like the this is one of the most interconnected issues we've gotten in in the last two years i mean th- this connects like stuff that was introduced back in the new 52 plus some stuff from metal plus possibly from some stuff from doomsday clock plus it's telling a new story and all that and i understand why zach wants more books like this however i will also say that while i dug all that stuff there were parts of this book that were a little bit grown worthy for me whether it was dialogue or just some sort of hokey-ish moments and so I, I think that this this both shows the the pluses and minuses of having a story that is so dependent on on everything else around it you know the, the, there was a moment and we'll get to this in a little while in this week's issue of, of black lightning that i thought was a really great moment in part because it was just set up by itself and it just was sort of fulfilling the promise set up in its own pages and i think that this book can never do that because it's not Nothing has been set up for this character in this book. This is all playing off past stuff. This is all teasing to the future. It's all present. Sorry, it's it's no present. It's all past and all future. Mm. And I don't think that's always the best way for a comic to be. As always, I tend to fall right in between you guys on this. <laughs> you do that on purpose so that I really nobody, don't. I really so that don't. nobody out there is going to hate you. Please, everybody hates me. Come on. No, see, <laughs> see, when we go to a con together, I'm going to have fecal matter thrown at me for some of my opinions and uh, questionable impressions and things. 
and everyone's gonna say Brian. I don't. I don't remember a bad thing about him. Oh please, he sounds great. <laughs> he always has great opinions. No. This costume is great. Ten, 10 out of ten. 10, 10. Uh, we did have a listener want us to comment on Duke's costume, so we should do. That. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I uh, like what, it. What did he say again? I he wanted. Said what, the, he said that there were a million like lines and stitches all over it, and he's not wrong. He's not. It's very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's not wrong, but I do kind of like it. I like it. I think this looks like a good image costume from 1993. Yeah. As opposed to many of the new 52 costumes, which were bad image costumes from 93. Mm hmm. So. Mm hmm. Well, I think I, it helps. Oh, go, no, ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, I think it helps that Cully Hamner is like such a dynamic artist. I think one, one thing that Hamner does that I notice every time is he uses a really thick. Well, I guess maybe does he ink his own stuff? He does. I yes, think, I think he does. He uses a really thick line, and so it makes those it makes the lines on the costume really prominent. And I I feel like that there's something segmented about this costume that really works with Cully Hamner's very thick inky uh, line work. Yeah, that's a good call. I, I remember uh, Cully Hamner did, I believe it was the first issue of the uh, the Shade, Shade, right, a while back. Yep. And uh, yeah. and I always hated the Deathstroke New 52 costume. But when Cully Hamner drew it in that one issue, I was like, oh, this is how it's supposed to look. Okay, I understand that. And I kind of feel like a similar thing about this costume where it is overly complex. It is a little bit too much, but in the hands of a great artist, it all works. Mm. Yeah. I, I do think it, um, it, it's not that different than the costume he's been wearing. You know, it has like some minor differences and it still seems geared more for like a, I, I realize he's a bat character, but he's kind of, you know, going off on his own with a not bat themed name. And this still feels like it, it's um, designed for like a lark or whatever he was, you know, maybe going to be called. So, I mean, that, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> Dress how you want, call yourself what you want. It doesn't I did, matter. I did see a hilarious take on Twitter. I forget who, who I did not write down the username and I probably shouldn't say it anyway saying that it's a big bit of disrespect that they didn't go with the name Lark because that would honor Michael Lark, and that's obviously what it was referencing. Oh, that's interesting. Not, you know, the animal. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's as if there was a... It's as if it was... Uh, his, his his handle was going to be like Rucka, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, they, they they all could live on Dennis O'Neill Avenue. They, they could. Could. Oh. <laughs> when I said that was interesting, I didn't mean like it was... I mean, it's interesting in a, I don't know, I'm not sure how your mind goes to these places. Not yours, but... Right, right, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. <sighs> I, I, I will say that I uh, I'm glad that the beginning of the book where Duke is arguing with the other bat sidekicks, 
I'm glad that wasn't really a thing. Because <laughs> when that started, I was like, oh, I hate this book already. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, that wasn't really a thing. Yeah. Um, I like Duke as a character a lot, and I find it interesting, we're going to talk about this in a second, that Duke plays such a major role in Batman White Knight. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's almost Duke in name only, though. Oh, it's totally a dino. It is, yes. But uh, I just find it interesting that... Totally a dino. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't that oh, funny? I love, I love that you just pulled... It is funny. You just pulled that out of nowhere. But it's, uh, I don't know. Okay. Um, but I, what I was going to say is I, just, I feel like one of the things that Murphy is doing in, in White Knight is he's sort of simplifying a lot of the bat stuff. Like, you know... Dick Grayson is still Nightwing, Babs is still Batgirl, and yet Duke is still is is in there, you know. So it, it sort of feels like Murphy is elevating Duke to maybe a higher stature than than you would think based on the relative newness of the character, even if he is a Dino. So, any other Batman the Signal thoughts? No. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's dig into White Knight. Oh fuck! Number do four. we have to? We do. The Joker Fox. He does. Joker <laughs> right there on the page. Yeah. Can I um? Can I get something off my chest right up front? Sure. Is it that word balloon that's? tastefully censoring Harley Quinn? <laughs> is that what you're getting off your chest? Yeah, nothing about this book is tasteful, but yes. <laughs> um, no, so... Didn't... Correct me if I'm wrong. Did Sean Murphy say that this book was not political, or that... What What was what was his thought... What were his thoughts on this being a political book? I, I honestly don't remember. Alright, well... That's going to be aside from the point. It doesn't matter whether he thinks it's political or not. Um, I don't think he has the writing savvy to take on some of the stuff that he's attempting to take on here. Whether he's trying to be overtly political or not. Um, There's a bunch of stuff involving Duke and his acceptance of uh, Jack Napier as the you know the savior of this one neighborhood of Gotham, and it plays up this. Uh, well, I mean, it's quite literally you the know that knight. that that he's the White Knight of Gotham, and I don't know whether it's going to eventually try to make a statement about a ex criminal who's gotten away with everything, coming back to uh, impoverished predominantly black uh, neighborhood and trying to save it or something. And everybody's on board and he's a hero or something. It's just a really weighty thing that felt, it felt very weird when I was reading it. And I'm probably bringing some of my own stuff to that, but uh, it just doesn't seem like the type of topic that, (laughs) 
that Sean Murphy's particularly good at tackling, you know? Um, and it, it, that what comes with that is this idea that, that one of Jack Napier's plans is to essentially deputize Batman and basically make Batman a cop who's also a troop and get the police force involved in this. And it feels like a weird time in our country. And, and I don't think this is ever going <laughs> to change probably not anytime soon to be setting that up as the solution to a problem. Um, and I know that by the end of this, it's probably going to all fall back on him or it's going to, it's going to fail or whatever. But right now it's being played up as if this is a successful thing that he's doing and that somebody like Duke would be completely on board with it kind of, I mean, it's taking the world that we live in currently and giving us something that's so the opposite of what reality is that, I mean, we have this stuff going on in America right now and it's bad. It's not the solution to a problem, you know, maybe that, but that's me bringing my opinion into it. You know, I, I just think that this book attempts to have nuance, but the delivery system is so devoid of subtlety and nuance. Like the ideas should be treated with subtlety and nuance, but they're not ever. And I, I don't think that's too dissimilar to what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think it is essentially. You know, I, I just, I also get the sense that, well, it's like Zach was talking about earlier how Duke is Duke in name only. I don't understand. That's that's the shortcoming of Sean Murphy's writing because. I don't understand who the character of Duke is here that ends up uh, on this side of the issue, you know, or, or thinking that Jack Napier is the solution, you know? So it's, it's, it's Nightwing New Order for you. Yeah, it, it kind of is a little bit of that. Yeah, it is like, because I don't recognize these characters, is this really, it's not effect, you know, it's not effective then at, at using them to tell an Elseworlds type story, you know? Mm -hmm. I just don't, I mean, part of the problem is, is that, part of the problem is, is that Batman's not even a character in this either. You know, like he is not, he, he may as well not exist. He's a specter that shows up he, in the very first issue. He was shown as like this reckless psychopath that's causing damage everywhere he goes. And beyond that, I don't get a good sense of Batman's character. And so how can you like, how can you put him up against the uh, a reformed Joker when we don't even get a real sense of who Batman is? Like, are we supposed to think Batman's a villain at this point? Or, you know, if there is some sort of 
conflict between whether Batman's good or not, he's really not playing a part in any of it. And I feel like in a book that's called Batman White Knight and is trying to sell you on this idea that what if the Joker was a better alternative than Batman, I feel like Batman needs to be an actual character. And he's not. Mm. I agree with that. Yeah, this is definitely more just an idea of Batman as, like you said, kind of this um, like impotent psychopath character, you know. Like he he busts into this issue for all of a couple pages just to, you know, incite some some mayhem, beat up on some guys, and then and then disappear. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find one line in this book, <clears throat> but at at some point, I think somebody actually says the dang Joker. <laughs> they, they do, they do, they definitely do. Um, oh no, he yeah. listens to the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's on page of on Comicsology. It's on page twenty-two. Nightwing says it. This is thrilling radio to have these. Yeah, yeah, it's um. There, it's when Babs and and Dick are chatting it up with uh, Gordon, Jack Napier, yeah, and He's, Gordon, yeah. And, and Napier says, uh, "The hell with that! He's the damn Joker." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I wish he would have said "dang." Though. I know. I you, thought he said you, "dang." I'm sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Man, or, dang or freaking? Yeah, it's got to be one or the other. <laughs> oh, this book's just really over the top. Yeah. Other other Harley's tragic origin story that it, I mean I don't want to make light of you know that the idea that is portrayed there like that's a that's a real problem that people deal with and but the way that it's handled here is just not tasteful or nuanced or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, I think the worst Joker Harley stories tend to be kind of reckless with that material or um, it's just it's it again, it comes down to taste on on one hand, because like I, I I don't mean to upset anyone or 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 stereotype or anything when I say like. There is a person that has the same tastes that, like, would align with the Suicide Squad, Joker and Harley. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this. Yeah, everybody makes the joke that it's this, like, hot topic type person, you know? No, it's, it's a modern day sophisticate. I get it. <laughs> I just don't want, I don't want to, like, alienate any truly, like, good people who happen to just, like that kind of stuff but like you know it's it's the the leto robbie joker and harley that dynamic where it's like oh they're so they're so it's this like twisted dark love you know that like isn't it so messed up and i feel like that stuff is always treated shabbily Mm -hmm. when when in reality i mean yeah there are people that have these real 
you know, problems, behavioral health problems and um, abuse and things like that. And, and there's a story you can tell there, but it's never really, it's never really handled well in 95% of comics when, when they talk about it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to do a little bit of a lightning round here with you guys for a couple. I'm going to save the, the sort of three or four books I want us to really talk about. But so if you have any objections, say no. I want to talk more about that in a minute. Okay. Okay. But uh, Black Lightning, Cold Dead Hands. Quick thoughts. As um, another political book, it's handled. It's handled better. But it maybe still a little heavy-handed. Um, yeah, I think it's handled better because it's 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 written with more truth. I think, mm-hmm. like like I buy the situation. I see the situations <clears throat> that are happening in this book. We see them, you know, all the time, all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and. And it's it's heavy handed in that it crams a lot of it into twenty pages. Right, right. Um, but I th- but I really think the least believable thing was that that officer was actually suspended without pay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't, didn't get away scot free with. Uh, uh, no, but but I think I think this is an appro- I wish there were more books that did this, or at least I'm glad that there are some that do. Like I think I'm I'm glad that Black Lightning is being allowed to be an overtly political book. Mm-hmm. And and if you don't like that, you don't have to read it, you know, but like these are real things that happen. Why shouldn't we have superhero stories that talk about them, you know? Right. right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I love Clayton Henry's art here. I've been a fan of his work at Valiant. I think he's doing really, really good work here. The The moment I was going to mention before is um, I feel like, the the again, it's a bit heavy-fisted, heavy-handed, rather, ham-fisted. Um, the scene where Black Lightning comes face-to-face with that cop, and he's like, I know you did the right thing here, but these cops are still going to hate you, so you have to get out of here. I feel like that scene has happened in so many bits of superhero media before, but usually... It takes, like, usually that's the th- the end of the third act, right? That ha- that that happens, and I feel like this book has established enough in three issues that it could happen, kind of, not even halfway through the book, through, through the run of the book, and it still felt momentous, and it still felt earned, and it still felt real, and I think that this is a much better miniseries than it really has any right to be in some ways. I I agree with you. I I am liking this book a lot more than I expected to. All right. Uh, I know, Vincey, you had some remarks about Cyborg, right? <laughs> well, it was just weird because... Um, uh, Robot Man? Yeah, yeah, Robot Man is in this. Um, and he says something about think of the touch of the child, which is weird. Um <laughs> He's like trying to get Vic to. He says, "He says, imagine the touch of a child." Like, wait a minute, Cliff. Um, oh, by the way, I, that wanted that reminds me. Black Lightning issue number three. Its subtitle was "Lil Boys Bang Bang," which oh, is boy. also. There's a weird week at DC. Yeah. Um, Vic, Pop Vic, Pop turn, 
<laughs> Mere fact that you call it that, Brian, <laughs> exactly. lets me know that you're not ready. Um, well played. <laughs> uh, Vic turns a bunch of dead kids into zombies with a magic <laughs> horn. Did you know that? He blows into a magic horn and <laughs> turns a bunch of dead kids into zombies. This sounds like, like a really offensive <laughs> New Orleans story. Like, that would be, you know, like, yeah. a, like a comic you'd find in, like, a 1960s box of Zataran's uh, <laughs> jambalaya mix. Okay. <laughs> we, were a, we were a San Francisco treat family, uh, so. Okay. Uh, anyway, that's it. Yep. Uh, Dastardly and Mutley continues to be insane. Absolutely bonkers. Are they going to get sued for the... Capluto? C- C- Capluto, yeah. Capluto. <laughs> That's clearly Pluto, which is not. It's not, not even it's hidden. One of their properties. Yeah, it's yeah not even they hidden. know that. It's, just, it's, it's right out there, yeah. <laughs> it's this, this is Ricky Laos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Ronald Ruck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That uh, was really weird, especially considering, like, the vast landscape of Hanna-Barbera characters that they could use, you know? Yeah. To have it be Cthulhu was weird. It was weird. Also, President Clooney, President George Clooney. (laughs) Yes. I believe was depicted as a fox, just like the fantastic Mr. Fox. What the cuss are you talking about? (laughs) You cussing at me? That's that's all I have to say. the the book The book is fun, you it know. It's fun. It's spinning. It's spinning a wheels a little bit. It's kind of it's kind of getting away with doing a lot of the same jokes. Like, oh, let's what's the next absurd cartoonish thing we can you know do? Right. But I feel like this issue was just the creators being like, let's get every just bananas idea we have and throw it in twenty pages, mm-hmm. which is fun. Again, this is a way better book than it has any right to be. Um, all right, let's talk about Green Arrow quickly. Uh, this issue, you know, it, it has your your typically great Juan Ferreira art. It um, it sort of. I feel like this issue, in a lot of ways, brought a lot of the stuff from Arrow into the comics. The idea that Moira Queen and um, Merlin had an affair, the fact, you know, all that sort of stuff is, is very arrowish. But I will say that I thought the end of the book had a twist I didn't see coming, with Emmy jumping in front of Ollie to uh, save him from being shot with an arrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now she's dead and she won't be coming back, probably. Ever. Probably Ever. not. She's, yeah. she's gone for sure. Right, and he, right. He he called her a red arrow at the end, so you know oh, she's dead. Yep. That's right. Yeah, that's she how finally got what her. she she got what she wanted, but only in death. Yeah. God damn. His name this is, is the... Paulson. <laughs> this is one of those. Uh, this is one of those books that it's been good for thirty six issues, and so because the window has moved, now it's like only okay. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not very excited to read it each week, but it's solid. I mean, there's nothing I can really complain about. Yeah, I'm a little tired of this storyline. I feel yeah. like we say that all the time. I feel like anytime there's like a 
four to six issue arc in this book, I feel like halfway through we're like, I'm a little tired of this now. Yeah, probably. Again, like the standalone, you know, one or two issue arcs or, or whatever have been more satisfying, you know. Yeah. And I wish com I wish comics in general would 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 go back to that a little more. But. Agreed. All right, let's dig into Green Lanterns. Sorry, I fell well, asleep. This book is the fucking worst. Hey, <laughs> last week, last week, weren't you and I saying like, "Hey, this arc is actually kind of good." Yeah, but I feel like this issue killed all my enthusiasm for it. Yeah, I don't know. It certainly had less character than the last issue we talked about, but. I don't think it's as bad. I don't think it's a snooze like you're saying it is. It's just there's nothing remarkable about this particular issue. It's just a continuation of this like red tide xenophobic group. Um, it's just the next issue in this arc. There's not much to speak of. I don't. I don't think it's like. Man, I wasn't like falling asleep. Oh, or I found this very hard to get through. Oh man. Yeah, I really did not care for this issue. Zach, break the tie here. I uh, thought it was pretty dull, too. And I was really annoyed. I mean, whatever, these comics, but the cover just 100%, you know, tells the ending. So oh. all, like, any any sense of, um, you know, excitement or, or, you know, story, like like rising plot action is negated instantly. So... Yeah. Um you know, can I I I think at some point, not this week, but someday when we decide to make this a specific topic, I think we need to talk about comic book covers at DC Comics lately. Yeah, we were going on last week, Vince, about how we loved the last Green Lanterns cover, which felt very silver aged to us. Remember? It was like um yeah, you wonder 100% chance of death or something. Exactly, like that. yeah. The ring was telling Simon they were going to die. And I feel like that's a very old-fashioned comic cover. Yeah. But but I think I think Zach brings up an interesting point that we need to discuss on a future show just about how like DC comic covers in general what the good ones are, what the bad ones are, what the general trend is because I think there are a few artists that are doing good work but i think overall the trend for dc covers is pretty miserable and that's a shame because their trade dress looks so great right now mm-hmm. 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 I-, I will say uh german peralta who is the artist on this issue i did enjoy some of the visuals for this issue i just found the story incredibly boring yeah, yeah. all right let's talk about nightwing quickly um, Vince, I know you were very down on the first issue of this arc. Mm-hmm. Zach, what do you think of, the, of this issue? Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> um, this is one of those books that I think of when I when I was talking about the the idea of stories that are just you know telling stories just to you know function sorry there's a siren outside um like like this is just this this book only i feel like this arc is only happening because there has to be a book about nightwing right now you know Mm -hmm. and and also it's 
it's doing a thing that we've seen in DC Comics a lot lately of introducing a you know never before seen villain from the history of this character that ties back to their you know early days of being a hero and now we we have this like, like intimate relationship with this character we've never seen before um, I, I, I don't I'm kind of tired of that yeah I mean this is definitely like this is Humphreys trying to do what Seeley did with Raptor yeah but far 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 worse but dang if I don't feel bad for that nice shark boy yeah <laughs> man Seeley can really pull the heartstrings with shark boy Humphreys not Seeley did I say Seeley you did say Seeley sorry I meant Humphreys yes That's Humphreys right. credit where credit's due Humphreys yeah you're uh, killing me with that shark boy I'll also say it's nice to see Bernard Chang out of the Batman Beyond <clears throat> ghetto. Mm-hmm. I think this is just as big a ghetto right now. Uh, oh, maybe. no. I don't think so. I don't think it's that bad. Mm. I don't get. I still don't get why Father John Misty is the bad guy in this. I'm going to keep doing that joke because <laughs> I, I think it's spot on, but... I challenge you to write a uh, parody version of Pure Comedy as all its character. <laughs> the whole album, not just not the title track, the oh. whole album. And then perform okay. it next week for us in the podcast. Uh, uh, you have to have a line in there about, like, uh, you know, um, making love to King Shark inside the Oculus Rift. Yeah, okay, all right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Peeping Nightwing's ass well inside the Oculus Rift or something like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. There we go. So it's gotta be something about Dick's ass. Perfect. Perfect. Um all right, let's let's do the priest double shot here of Deathstroke and Justice League. Uh, let's uh Zach, let's start with Justice League, I guess, because we can get to hear your thoughts on last issue of this book. Uh what did you guys think of this of this issue? I don't know if I like this. I can't decide. Let's con- let's convince you that you like it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely okay. I definitely like it conceptually. I just don't. I think more. I don't care for this incarnation of the Justice League. And it's negatively affecting my enjoyment of the book. Sure. This is a problem that went back to when Hitch was writing it. Yes. 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 Okay. But yeah. I, but I will say, so far, Priest has already brought in Kid Flash and Nightwing to yes. sort of bounce off of those characters. And I think that is mm-hmm. immensely refreshing. I do like that. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is just – it's interesting – I feel like these three issues have been, um, you know, uh, Priest kind of 
Dia, I don't know. It, he 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 is trying to circumvent a lot of the issues that I think I had with the hitch run. Just mostly, mostly just the the team composition itself and how it's kind of very safe and standard and um not 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 very interesting all the time. Um, and also, what's what do you think is with this zeitgeist of Batman just being bad? Like Batman's just not good. <laughs> I well, think I, I think... very much like am in that right now. Like when I I typically don't think highly of uh, Bruce Wayne much these days, but I feel I... like a lot of the books are you know dressing him down a lot. I agree with you, and I think Priest has had the most interesting take on that. I agree. I think Pr- Priest has had the one that's not like completely over the top. You know. Um, I feel like other books, well, like, especially White Knight, like, it showed him as this, like, insanely reckless person, just way over the top, you know? Oh, God, we're gonna get Bruce Wayne as Donald Trump soon, aren't we? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. no. Oh. Yes. Oh, that's gonna be coming out of Doomsday Clock. He's gonna be, like, <laughs> going against, uh, Lex Luthor. Yeah. And even though Listen, Luthor is supposed to... I am the yeah. world's second smartest man. Everyone knows it. <laughs> Give me me the Medigene. (laughs) I uh... my Medigene is bigger than his. Oh fuck! Yeah, we're gonna get we're getting this is this is as good as anything Fallon does. By the way, (laughs) (laughs) you're right. (laughs) No, but Zach, I. I am with you on the makeup of this team. I think when 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 we t- talked about the Brian Hitch Justice League, I was agreeing with that a lot. I feel like Priest is overcoming that by the the one thing that he's really doing that that is giving us a unique look into these characters as individuals is how the Justice League has a what do they keep calling it? It's it's like a code. Like charter, a, like a charter, yeah, 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 the charter, yeah, yeah. There's like a Justice League charter, but I love how Priest, sometimes overtly and sometimes within the, within the plot sort of art, they're they're depicting how each individual Justice League member works inside the charter, and also how sometimes the charter conflicts with their individual, yeah, uh, sort of. Um, points of their view. own agenda yeah. yeah yeah their own agenda so so i think that's really interesting and right now that's 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 really a hook that i'm enjoying it's kind of like how you know a lot of times we see superhero teams they're either all right well we're, we're all together or we're going to or we're like gonna split up and i don't have any I don't have any feeling that any of these people are going to split up, but they're finding ways to work together, even though there's conflict. You know, I feel, I feel like a lot of times these stories go, go towards like a civil war esque turn. And I don't think that's going to happen here. I think this is a bunch of individuals finding it in themselves to work as a team Mm -hmm. and the, the, the natural difficulties that are going to happen with that especially with someone like Batman on the team. I'm I'm really buying it all. And the end, 
the last three pages were very like Deathstroke to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, where, where where like Priest uh, just presents an absurd scenario uh, that's going to lead into the next issue. God knows how, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is also I I really liked the part with. Uh, with Superman being like, hey, Baz, let's do lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, really appreciated that. I, I think that Priest has done a good job so far of giving each of these characters a unique voice, but not making that voice so different than how they're presented elsewhere. Like, I, I don't think anybody would read this Arthur and be like, I don't recognize this as the character from Aquaman, but it still felt different. Priest still had his own spin on the character. He's just able to to synthesize so much about each of these characters into very simple situations and and not make it insulting to the reader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Pete Woods, man, it's nice seeing him on a monthly book again, or mm-hmm. on a regular gig rather. Yeah, it's really good. I I really like how this these issues so far have. Um, you know, each issue has kind of been a one-off Justice League adventure, and it's framed by the overarching story. I think that's a really cool technique that Priest mm-hmm. is using. Yeah. Um, I we didn't. I wasn't here for it, but I I loved the last issue. Um, a lot. I liked it a lot. I think it's been my favorite of the three so far. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So, so is this Batman that shows up at the end going to be Michael Keaton? <laughs> it's, it's, I hope his name is John Dangerously. Referencing my favorite Michael Keaton role, Johnny Dangerously. 180 hats. It's a lot of hats. <laughs> I can't believe uh, Multiplicity is not your favorite. She saw my peppy, Steve. <laughs> she did. She did. You eat a dolphin. You pet a dolphin. Yeah. Look, I celebrate Michael Keaton's entire catalog, including yeah. Jack Frost. Oh, no, not including Jack Frost. Um, I don't know who it's going to be in that uh, in the bat costume, but it's going to be Deathstroke. Yes. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about Deathstroke number twenty-seven. Um, We get a lot of we get a lot of terror here. We we get a, a fair amount of of uh, I I've seen a lot of people calling this retconning, and I I don't think that's necessarily accurate. I think it's it's just finding a way to fit terror into the sort of post flashpoint world, but it's not that different from how terror was in the past. Right to me, retconning I'll, and also to something. yeah. To make to make her fit in the post flashpoint and also to fit in like the twenty first century where it's um I guess like more frowned upon for middle aged men to have relationships <laughs> with sixteen year olds. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, a, a weird week at DC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I, I can I point out one line that I thought this has nothing to do with anything really, but it was like a it was a line that I really 
Doug in a sort of meta textual fashion. Sure. At one point, Slade says, he's trying to save me, forcing me to spend time with a priest. Yeah. And, I, and I thought, yeah, that's what it, Slade is uh, spending a lot of time with Christopher Priest. Yeah. And he's, he, and he's being saved because it's the best, you know, <laughs> one of the best bit. books. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like this is one of the very few books in, you know, we're not in Rebirth anymore, in DC right now, that truly feels like one uninterrupted story from issue one until now. But what I love about it is like, we see the beginnings of the new Superman crossover pop up here. And we're still seeing lots of editor boxes for other things. It's this one continuous story, but it's really expansive. And I I feel like it's just, you know, if Hal Jordan is the embodiment of what's bad about DC post new 52 Deathstroke is the embodiment of what's working. Yeah. Yeah. This is fun. All right, let's talk about Superman, number 38, the fourth part of the Super Sons of Tomorrow. This is the first time we get some real action with Bart, Cassie, and Connor. Um, Vince, what'd you think of this? I liked it a lot. The art kind of bothered me a little bit. It wasn't... Just... John in some panels, John looked almost like a uh, one of the Rugrats or something. <laughs> and Chucky, I, <laughs> pick whichever one you want, Lil Dill, <laughs> you know, whoever. Um, it, it, was, it was a little weird, like a clear step down from the really strong art that this crossover had been getting. Mm-hmm. Um, but. That there are a fair amount of nut faces in this issue too. Whether. There's a lot of nut faces, and I nutted at the very last page. So of, of hyper time or the time stream, whatever that is. Yes, which, and I know we talk about it, like every time they do one of these pages where they show you all the different stuff from the past that you know still exists somewhere out there in hyper time. I know we flip for it, and that's cheap. But it's not just that. It's There was something about the image of Tim falling back into it with this sort of smile on his face. Like a knowing smile that... That... It, it was a greater sort of DC Rebirth thing for me to, to see him fall back into this and to know that Maybe it was commenting on how Connor and Cassie and Bart are going to be around again someday. You know, like that final page to me just represented like, yes, DC still very much has on its mind that a lot of this stuff needs to be reclaimed, you know, Mm -hmm. and that and that they're still working for it, that they're not. That they haven't just, you know, they fixed Superman and that's good enough, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I agree. I think this Mm -hmm. was a fun issue that was made even more fun by the end of it. Um, I don't know if you saw Josh Williamson tweeted today, the cover of the Flash War annual, 
where we get a lot more Bart Allen stuff. So, uh, that's I'm, fun. I'm super excited for Flash War. Yeah. Zach, what'd you think of this issue? Um, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, again, I guess this is one I didn't really get to talk about this whole crossover, really. Um, I, um, <clears throat> I wasn't super keen on the way Tim was used in this crossover. It, I know I was the one who was like really excited when I first like, you know, we were talking about who this Batman may have been and the solicits and stuff. And I was hoping it was this Tim from um, Detective. And I thought, like, in light of that arc, this seemed really weird that he, you know, is doing the essentially the same thing again and only, only with even less, um, I guess... Um, seemingly less incentive or motivation i don't know you know it, it it all just happens really fast but um what this issue what this arc is and was and represents you know it's it's dc3 nip um <laughs> so it, yeah it was good and i actually really kind of liked the art in this issue in a, in a few places I, I think it was i think it was rougher with the younger characters i think the older characters all looked really good Oh, I don't um, know that that first reveal of of uh, Connor is well uh, that <laughs> yeah um, he looks like uh, <laughs> like uh, Beavis and or Butthead <laughs> yeah but but then you know you have the scene later of um, Clark flying up out of the ice and he you know that's a really good scene yeah I feel like and uh, yeah I don't know there there's some good pages in this issue. Um, but man, the implications of this are really interesting. I mean, where the issues left and, and, you know, Connor, Cassie and Bart are still there. Um, not to say that they like won't go back or, or get like sucked back, but that's a, there's a lot here, you know? Vince, Ooh, br- yes. Yeah. Let's was, talk about that. Cause you weren't here, Zach. I would say Vince hypothesized that this is how we're going to get these characters back. That they're going to be at this. They're not going to. They're not going to de-age them again. That they're going to be heroes of this. Of this sort of uh, not quite as old as Clark and Diana and Bruce, but not quite as young as the Titans either. You like so you think that they're going to stick around for a while, or do you think they'll be you know come in and out, or you know they'll be in this alternate timeline? My my prediction. Oh, I've got I've got a take, but I want to hear yours first. My prediction is that this is how we get them back. That that <clears throat> that they that they're here for good now, and that somehow they get. You know, there may, there may be a story down the road where it kind of does the Superman thing, where uh, their continuities are zipped up, and maybe they make more sense. But that these are the forms that we're essentially get, that the Titans of tomorrow are going to be how we get this these particular this era of Teen Titans characters back. Well, you know, this is essentially the opposite of what Bendis did on X Men. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, what if Bendis does Titans of Tomorrow? Oh, that hey, sure. 
<laughs> I don't do think it. I don't think he will. I think he, but it is a weird coincidence. Because one thing we were ta- one thing we were talking <clears throat> about is how, uh, well, Brian suggested that they they are going to get their own book called Young Justice at some point because Young Justice is coming back, um, to the animated series. Mm-hmm. And I just think I just think that if you bring them back and you de-age them, then then they're 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 not redundant characters, but they are redundant ages to a lot of characters that you have walking around already. And if they stay as they are, they're I guess they're sort of the same as the Titans, but I don't know how old are the Titans supposed to be compared to these Titans of tomorrow? That's the we have no idea. Yeah, yeah, there's no idea. I mean, they could fudge whatever they want. You know, they could say, like, well, if the Teen Titans are, like, mid-teens, these Young Justice characters are, like, late teens, early 20s, and then the Titans characters are more, like, late 20s. You know, they, they these could be between the Titans and the Teen Titans, right? See, th- this is not going to enhance this conversation at all. I think it would be way more interesting if you brought those characters back. If you want to make them really different, age them another 25 or 30 years. Make them older than the Titans? Make them older than the Justice League. Oh, that's weird. Especially bringing back the JSA. I just think I just think people would be pissed off if the young if the Young Justice animated series came out and the Young Justice characters were all <laughs> old Old people. I mean, to be fair, you know, uh, Justice League just came out, and Batman's an old codger in that. Yeah, that's true. What should have happened? What sh- what should have really happened was the Justice League characters are all old farts. Yeah, and the Titans are the Justice League, and Young Justice is young, young, old, and no, Teen it has Titans to be are young. Bull. We're doing this again. We are. We... God. It was Tommy Boy Week last week, uh, Zach. You missed it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. Uh, so let's talk about the Peace de Resistance for this week. Uh, the last book of the week, even. Uh, <laughs> the Snagglepuss, Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles, number one. Written by Mr. Mark Russell, illustrated by Mike Fian, and uh, we've we've been anticipating this one for a while. So, uh, Zach, what'd you think of this issue? It was a lot safer than I expected. Word. I. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it was it was fine. It was good. It had its moments, but. It uh, it didn't do anything out of the expected. I don't think. You know. Yeah, I was a little let down by this issue. I I still like the concept quite a bit, but I felt like it um, it could have gone a lot further than it did, just in terms of telling a story that, like, to, one of one of my nitpicks about this issue is that I feel like. This gave us exactly what the solicit said it would. 
this didn't add anything to the story. Vince, what do you think? He's being oh. very quiet. <laughs> I, I it's because I absolutely loved this. Now I agree, Zach. The first thing you said was this was safe, and you know I've been thinking about this book for a couple weeks now, and I've read it several times, and I totally agree. Though I had never that thought never crossed my mind. You know, to me it wasn't a. a, a it wasn't a weakness of the book, but you're right. I think you are right. On the whole, it was safer than I would have expected. Um, especially some of the Flintstone satire that Mark Russell was doing w- was a little more pointed than this. Mm. Um, so maybe in a future issue. So I definitely, I definitely agree with you, but I didn't think about that at all when I was reading it or when I was thinking about it. And see, that was one of the first things that I thought of when I was reading uh. it. Okay, that's interesting. Um, to to me, I just thought I saw it as such a like perfectly paced issue. How it begins, it begins with that classic like Mad Men era couple, Henry and Alice, speaking in like kind of old fashioned like, "Hey, we got we got tickets to the show. We got to get going." You know, like shake a leg, like, kid. Yeah, exactly. And then like. You find out at the end that it were it was tickets to the Rosenberg execution, which is like insanely dark. Um, but but kind of a, a fun twist. A fun is not the right word, but um, and then just I, I just thought like there was a lot of old fashioned kind of dialogue, very like. Uh, uh, not noir, but like the way that a, ro- a, a romantic sort of writer would say things, you know, like Snagglepuss uh, at one point says, what good is a world without, hold on, hold on. What good is a world without subversives and deviants even? <laughs> you know, I, I, he didn't, I don't think he really threw in any evens. I was a little. There was one was bug- in, in the play. Oh, that's right. Yep. Um, one of the characters says, uh, "Hang on, I gotta get it here." Because <laughs> it's literally the only time that yeah. it uh, that it pops up. Uh, he said to give you a job at his hotel, night manager, even night manager, even. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and a couple other lines I liked was, "I've been to the circus and I'm not impressed with the clowns and." Mm-hmm. Uh, what is a god but the furthest thing from your life that you can imagine? Which those are ve- those are like very much like writers' lines, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. And I I really appreciated that though because I think that this is the right uh, book for that. You know, it's it reminds me of the Ryan Johnson line from uh, Star Wars at Canto Bite where she says, "I want to." What does she say? I've only saw the movie once, guys. So help me out here. Right I... Through this uh, horrible, beautiful town, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. It's it's that sort of writing that, like, in the wrong venue, it can be kind of silly or off-putting. But I think this is like the perfect place for it. I really, I really dug like the wavelength he was writing on, and um, yeah, I. Uh, I really like this a lot. I, I the one thing I'll say is that I'm not sure it had to be a Snagglepuss book. 
Like there's nothing, there's nothing about uh, Snagglepuss or Huckleberry Hound other than their traditional voices from the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons that would place them in this sort of, uh, you know, like Huckleberry Hound had that like Southern drawl, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it would make sense for him to be this like Southern Gothic old, writer, old yeah. Southern Gothic writer. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't, I'm, yeah, I'm not really sure what makes this Hanna-Barbera, but I just thought it was really a really tightly plotted, nice, very interesting. I, I loved how the setting was so real that he was using real names of, of uh, people that were around back then, like Lillian Hellman and, um, and the Rosenbergs. Um, and uh, yeah, I just really dug it. I, it was my favorite issue of the week. Um Peter Potamus was on the the communist acquaintances sheet, you know, which, yeah, yeah, which if you back going back to Harvey Birdman, attorney at law, (laughs) it made me think of, you know, did did you get that communist propaganda I sent you? (laughs) Um, I'll also say, I I don't know why I was taken aback by it, but you know, a lot of the issue shows the characters like Stanglebox and Huckleberry Hound in sort of very normal situations and we tend to see them just from the waist up there's a scene it's page 19 in the pdf where we see them at a party <laughs> and they're just they're wearing like suit coats and no pants at all and it just really it just looked very jarring for a second they're hanging brain yeah they are <laughs> even uh, it looks a little uneven <laughs> oh boy all right well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back to talk about a couple issues of damage right after this. We have to. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with the second part of our Damage reread. This week we are reading issues four, five, six, and zero. Uh, this is where we begin to see the the zero year tie and stuff. And um, I don't know when it when or if you guys have ever read the zero year stuff before. Uh, but yeah, what did we think of these issues? Uh... <laughs> you know, I actually. I didn't hate it. Um, and I actually maybe even sort of kind of was starting to get into it by the time I got to the sixth issue <clears throat> and got to sort of the end of the the story arc. But then you hit the zero issue and all that goodwill just went out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Why did you feel that issue destroyed all the goodwill? Uh, um 
Well, so there was, you know, of course, the um, like non sequitur zero hour explanation of everything that happened. And then I, I believe that issue was the one that had the extended, very uh, word balloon heavy conversation between the Nazi guy and the, yes, it was that the, like the sexy cyber mom. Yes. <laughs> um, which went on way too long. That went on forever. Yes. Uh, there's so many words in this book. Yes. Yeah. So many words. And then it ends on just kind of, you know, your standard, superhero good guys beating up on each other because of a misunderstanding or something. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of like a trifecta of all the things I don't like in superhero comics. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Vincent, about you? Okay. So last time we talked about this book, I remarked how at one point I thought, Oh, this is going to be like DC's one punch man. (laughs) And I thought, I saw the potential for this, like, insane escalation and fun sort of uh, sense of destruction and damage, like, literally, uh, that I thought, oh, this this could be interesting if they play with this idea that that, um, these powers that Grant Emerson is discovering become, you know, bigger and bigger or more serious, you know. I was looking forward to a sense of escalation. And then instead what happened that you saw over these these few issues that we're talking about is it really became more like Scott Lobdell's Super, New 52 Superboy. I was getting heavy Superboy vibes from this. That is interesting. Just with like – so it's like a, a crazy science experiment kind of gone wrong. He's spending a lot of time – in this sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, lab, 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 or like science, uh, the symbolics project, right? Mm-hmm. Um, surrounded by these characters that are very invested in this program that uh, you know Grant doesn't really understand, and and it's instead of being this like teen teen melodrama with with escalating superpowers it's become this like kind of uh just muddy like weird pseudoscience with a bunch of unremarkable characters that i don't really care for or have anything to say about and that's the, the zero issue was really problematic for me because i don't give a crap about this monroe guy yeah and, uh, you know, that starts to tie in pretty heavily, Iron Monroe. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it, I, I don't really have much more to say about it than that. It, it just kind of became this really ponderous sort of weird science story that, I don't know. It disfavorably compared to the new Fifty Two Superboy to me. What <laughs> uh, what I think is one of the biggest issues with this comic is that I mean, part of this is that we're reading it, you know, twenty five years or so after it was written. 
But I feel like we're constantly being introduced to new characters that are vaguely familiar, but aren't established as new characters or old characters. So everybody exists in this sort of like, am I supposed to know who this person is world? And so at least for me, I'm spending like half of my reader's energy trying to jog my memory to see who this person is. Mm-hmm. And that's a little I did. I did a lot of Wikipedia. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, I also think that like at this, this, these are the issues that begin to foreshadow sort of what the rest of the series is going to be about. And so, in some ways, I think that they're they're decent issues because they are setting up sort of the second half of the book. But a lot of this was a slog to get through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I uh, I'm interested in what you remember about it from when you were younger, Brian. Like, what made what made you remember this fondly? Well, first of all, I don't remember if I had. Like, I, I couldn't tell you if I started reading it at issue one or not, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, so maybe I'm remembering later stories. Uh, I, I did I did really enjoy, as I mentioned in the past, when he was part of the, the Titans, the new Titans, with yeah. Kyle Rayner and Donna Troy and that. So part of this could be just me conflating the series with the new Titan stuff. Um, but I think at the time, you got to realize, like, this was the time when DC went all in on a younger generation of character. So you had your Connor Hawk, Kyle Rayner, Bart Allen, uh, Grant Emerson, uh, Jack Knight, like all these younger characters were becoming the sort of forefront of the DC universe. And I think as a, you know, 10 or 12 year old, however old I was when this came out, that was an appealing idea to have all these younger characters. I also think... I, I thought, and I still think to this day, that One Punch Man aside, the power set for damage was pretty unlike anything we were seeing in DC at the time. Um, and also, I, I was a big fan of Zero Hour, and the idea of him being used literally as the new Big Bang was, I thought, mm. a really interesting, weird idea. Like That idea is way weirder than you would think for early 90s DC. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, those are good. Yeah, points. it is like totally bonkers, and I, I actually haven't ever read Zero Hour. I hate to admit, and so that's probably something I should fix. But it's, um, um it, it's in our comicsology. So I bought it for us. Okay, I should I should check that out then. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, yeah. Are, are are we good stopping here for damage? I think I'm good. I mean, I read, I read to issue 10, mm-hmm. but I, I probably won't have much more to say about it if we were to continue on. Okay. Um, I don't think I just, I don't think I have anything new to say about it. Um, yeah. I, I do I do think because I'm I'm vaguely aware with, of the damage of like the history of the damage character mm-hmm. um, I do think there are things down the road not necessarily in this book that I think are interesting 
about damage. Mm-hmm. But I haven't hit... If they are in this book, I haven't hit them yet. <laughs> and um, I don't know if I'm going to invest the time to find them. Mm-hmm. Do we know how much... What's the status quo of the new damage that's coming out? I don't Do we believe know... there's any real connection. So it's not Grant Emerson? No, it's not. Okay. I believe that we've heard the phrase, like, inspired by... Or uh, something of the like there, but I don't believe it's anything concrete. Okay. <clears throat> Which, again, I don't understand why they would do that. It just seems silly to me. This isn't a character from the 30s you're bringing back. This character was in Blackest Night. You know, mm-hmm. just, if you're going to use the name, it seems odd to not have any real connection. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, if you're if you're good, Brian, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. This, okay. So Vince, you have the pick of our next uh our next reread. Have you given this any thought yet? Um There were nah, I don't wanna can I say it do I have to say it now? Do I have no, to pick it now? No, 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 no. Okay. All. I right, figure I'll... we'll do I figure we'll get through the new age of heroes stuff. The first okay. issues of those, and then afterwards we can we can dive in. Perfect. Okay, I do have some ideas, but I haven't decided concretely about what it's going to be. Okay, it doesn't have to be something I've read already, does it? No, not at all. Okay, Zach hadn't read Legion Lost. Oh, that's, that's true. right. That's right. <clears throat> yep, and yep. I hadn't read Damage in twenty five years, whatever. So, all right. Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us for our hundredth episode spectacular. Um, we will be back next week with more DC three cast. I meant to say this last week, and I didn't get a chance to say it. We did not forget about recording our um, DC MST three K Watchmen <laughs> director's cut thing. We are going to do it. We need to find a time when uh, when life's a little bit less crazy for us to do it. But it'll be within the next month or so. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, as always, you can follow the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at Vince Ostrowski. And I'm at SirFox89. And we'll be back next week with more DC3Cast. Thanks for listening. And until next time, uh, stay warm even. Did you see Yoda, motherfucker?